United Pubcast, Spurs 2, Manchester United 2. Welcome back for your live match review. Now at halftime, we're going to have a very different discussion. 45 minutes later, the landscape and picture um, changed drastically. Um, unpredicted. Um, I think before the game, a lot of us had a draw sort of written all over this. And obviously, in hindsight, we can say, yep, we got the prediction right. But at halftime, in the way we were playing and the way Tottenham were playing, and this was only going to be 5 or 6 nil. Something happened at halftime, whether that was personnel, tactics, um, you know, Tottenham came out a different town. I'm not sure what happened at halftime. <clears throat> Sorry, but the game changed. Now, I wouldn't say our season has changed, but um, we do have to be very careful, Larry, because Newcastle had a big win away at Goodison Park. They move above us um, in the third. We stay in fourth position now. I'm just thinking, okay, it wasn't as bad as 7-0. It wasn't as bad as 6-3. It wasn't as bad as losing away at Sevilla 3-0. But, my God, my feeling now... Yeah, there's a bit of anger in this one because ultimately we, whether you want to turn the, I don't think you'd use the term bottling, but we've absolutely thrown it away. Like in regards, I don't think we felt the pressure of Tottenham while we bottled it, but I thought it was our own doing in regards to our attitude. 100% right, Tom. There, there were two things that got wrong, that, that went wrong here for Manchester United. The first one, you're right, is the attitude. In the first half, I messaged you and I was like, it almost seems too easy. It almost I was feels disappointed like with Tottenham. Tottenham were just, they didn't they're woeful. Up. They didn't turn up. As simple as that. They, they, the, the gaps in midfield that Spurs were leaving for United is something that you see in Sunday League. I see it on the weekend when I go to my local park. It just shouldn't happen at a professional level, to, to be honest. And I, and I don't think I'm dramatizing how bad Spurs were uh, defensively and, and out of possession. And it was just too easy. If you look at Sancho's goal, again, well-taken goal. And credit to him. He, he looked good today, Jaden Sancho. Better performance. Um, Arawan Basaka, I thought, looked really good in the first half. Almost playing midfield um, in the second half before he came off, wasn't he? And he looks good there. Um, I'm not. I don't know if that's something Eric Ten Hag is thinking about longer term or not. But we'll guess we wait and see. But yeah, you're right. The, the attitude in the second half wasn't there. I think United almost absolutely did get complacent. It was too easy, and they thought, "Oh, we'll just take it easy now." Wrong attitude. Spurs come out. They score a, a, an awful first goal. To be honest, I, I gotta say, like the strike is well taken. United never should have been in that position. They were applying pressure to us. We almost became as bad as Spurs were in the first half. Woeful. And then on top of that, we're up 2-1, and he takes off his best footballers. The, the substitutions by Eric Ten Hag, Tom, were absolutely woeful. Now, again, this isn't saying Eric Ten Hag out or anything like that, but we have to criticize him when we equally to when we praise him. Malassia has been off it for a while. His positioning has been shocking. Uh, and we saw in, in the Sevilla game as well. Uh, and he repeats that kind of, consistency consistently week in week out Malasse. he needs to work on his positioning Veghorst awful Fred oh, I thought bringing Veghorst on I thought when we brought Veghorst on that sort of forfeited all all sort of motive and intent to go and score I don't know what Eric Ten Hag was thinking I really don't if you want to see a game out and you're 2-1 up you don't take off Ericsson for Fred or Veghorst you just don't do it it's criminal and the thing is I I never see a, a top manager Tamper with a back four when they're in a winning position. I don't see that happen. Not at two. Do you back. feel though, which I agree. And looking, we can see the result of these substitutions and say we're right in in saying Eric Ten Hag got it wrong. Of course we are. But Kasha went back to half time and how comfortable we were and what we've been screaming every single week from Eric Ten Hag. And this is again, I'm criticising him, but just in terms of playing his side of the fence in regards to we've talked about rotation, we need to rotate. We've got a big FA Cup final. These players have been running to the ground. 2-0 up and absolutely cruising. Now, yes, cruising, obviously, okay, that's in a past tense. We need to sort of continue that in the second half. But ultimately, 
this is the one game you, you could sort of tamper with the back four and rotate because we were so dominant. Now, ultimately, it hasn't proved to be correct, but it was just we've been screaming for substitutions and rotation. Suddenly it happens, and then you say, well, that's why. I'd agree with you if he made the subs at half time. That's not what happened here. Yeah. He made the subs at 2 1. He, we had already conceded a goal before he starts making substitutions. And I, I don't mind the Martial substitution. I don't think Martial was good when he came on. Um, but I, the Martial substitution, you can kind of make sense of it. You put Rashford in his favored position, you got a more focal number nine. I got no issues with that. But when, when it's 2 1, you really need to control the game and push on for the second. And, and it is Tottenham. This wasn't the game to rotate. We said, like, this game could almost secure top four or go a major, take a major step in doing that. Now, in the grand scheme of things, a draw isn't the worst result. But given where the game was in its context, it was poor by Ten Hag. And I thought Fred was – Fred's shocking, man. I can't the, – the gap between his best and his worst – is phenomenal. He is a woeful footballer. Honestly, he, he kills me because when he's good, I, I'm full of praise for him. But this is why he can't be a United player. Like that is the difference between a Manchester United player and a player for Everton. It's consistency. And Fred isn't consistent. That's why one of the best players technically I ever saw was that QPR. Um Tarat, if Tarat. you remember Tarat. Yeah. Technically brilliant. He had everything. When he was on his day, world class, unplayable. Problem is, he did it once every 20 games. Fred is that same cattle fish, except Fred doesn't have the ability that Tarat had. Mm. So when Fred drops off, you're like, mate, he's not... If you're, I, know, I know I've flip-flopped on this, but from what I've seen in McTominay box-to-box, when he's deployed in that box-to-box, if you are selling one of those players, I actually think Fred would be the one. When, when oh, you take well, everything look, that, that, that's not about thinking. That's not. A, there's only one correct answer there, and I know a lot of people sort of don't like McTominay and Fred. They choose Fred. Fred is the wrong answer in regards to that. Like, I understand McTominay sort of gives frustrations, but that is the wrong answer. That's not up for opinion in regards to that consistency. Okay, you get eight out of ten and a two out of ten, or do you want the six to four out of ten? Like obviously McTominay is going to give you a little bit more consistency, which is obviously what that midfield in terms of stability does need. But I'll say there's some people in the live chat, so do get your frustrations um, in for us to. To dissect, and um, we'll get into the trenchy ones in a little bit. I don't know if we can hand it out after the way that match finished. But, Tom, good to see you, mate, completely through this game. And we had the game in our hands in the first half. That gave them hope and completely crumbled in the second half, which we've done too often this season. Look, at half time, we're thinking five, six goals, and rightly so. And ultimately, that, that switch sort of changed at half time, and uh, very disappointing. Rob, so angry after that. I can feel your anger, mate. Tad starting the question Ten Hag for the first time. I think we can always have questions over Ten Hag. And again, that's not Ten Hag or out of anything. I understand you saying that, Tad. But um, yeah, well, one or two things. He's still, well, we talked about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer learning on the job. Well, Ten Hag maybe not learning managerially, but he's learning in regards to Manchester United and English Premier League and fixture congestion. So Eric Ten Hag is making a few mistakes, but yeah, he's human. He's a manager. He's going to make mistakes. Um, it's how he learns from this, which I think Eric Ten Hag has sort of, sort of bounced back from disappointments over his time at Manchester United. So we're right to question him. Um, very frustrating when um, the questions do need to be there. But um, that is a sign of um, being a Manchester United manager. Tom here as well. Ten Hag needs to focus fitness drills because these guys have the endurance of my old man um, walking slowly up a hill. I tend to agree, but then also, look, it's not so much work on his fitness. It's work on rotation earlier in the season. I think that's where the issue needs to be done. I think these players are fit. Um, they shouldn't be playing 60 games a season when we, ha- we have depth. Whatever we think of that depth, we do have numbers um, to come in. But as I said, was it Charlton or Reading and games like that when, when Raul Betis and, and games like that, that's where you rotate. It shouldn't be about games like this against Tottenham. 
Um, Rob here, Fred, woeful. Tad Malassia, Fred, Martial. Yeah, Martial didn't get into the game. Fred was Fred and Malassia. Yeah, it's struggling. I thought that Malassia and Veghorst, when they came on, look, again, I didn't mind sort of rotation. I understand the substitutions and the approach in the second half did prove costly, so I do look at Eric Ten Hag. But just the personnel, I look at Malassia and Veghorst when they came on and it was just just forfeited all sort of right to go and sort of win the game. Like when you weigh up the names, and I know Tottenham, Larry, I know in the last couple of weeks or year or whatever situation you want to look at Tottenham, they're woeful. But if you look at the names on the pitch, you look at Son, Kane, players like that, whatever you think of Richarlison, okay, he's woeful, but Richarlison, Perisic, players like that, okay, there's, there's something there. They're, they can do something. You go on the other hand, can you win a game at the highest level? Like you can see Kane scoring a goal at the highest level. You can see Son scoring a goal at the highest level. Players like that. If you've got Vegkost, Marcia, Fred, are they players at the start of the game you, you're going to put in a professional game to go and win a match? They're obviously players you can come in and do a job here or there sort of thing, but kind of just on paper, it really felt quite even in the end. We're at the start of the yeah. match. Okay, we're the best team. We're going to go and sort of assert our dominance. Suddenly you have those type of players in a, in a close match. You think, well, okay, they might see the job out. They, they might do a job and be, be solid. Okay, they weren't solid, but you get to see a situation where they are. Are they players who are going to go and win a game and dominate a game on paper? I don't think they are. Agree. Agree. And that's the thing. That's why I'm so critical of the substitutions. Uh, and, and I'm all for rotating, but this wasn't the game to rotate. Like I've said it time and time again, I'm going to sound like a broken record. When you're up 3-0 against Nottingham Forest in the League Cup, that's when you rotate your side. Not when you're fighting for a top four rival against Spurs. And particularly when you're not 2-1 up and they've just scored that last goal. If we scored the second there, I can understand because mentality-wise, United are in the ascendancy. Spurs had all the energy. They were the ones with the momentum. They're the one on the comeback trail. You don't bring off your game controllers and Christian Eriksen and substitute your best defender and Aaron well, so, Tom brings up the point here yeah. subs isn't was lost the game um that's just looking for excuses the only sub that was questionable was where cost otherwise subs were understandable I can see the understand but that. in regards to two nil up what what sort of mindset do you have at two nil in regards to okay seeing a game out at two nil or also going for a third goal and killing the game off I think it, it doesn't really matter I mean I think from Eric Tan Hag's perspective um you could go either way. I mean, hindsight, who knows? At the end of the day, I thought Tottenham were a really poor side. They improved in the second half, but were they what you'd call prime Tottenham or a prime top Premier League side? I thought United just lacked game control. So, I mean, whether you control the game, whether you, you go for a third or you, you stay saying I'm never a fan of um, trying to protect a lead in the 60th minute. I think you're setting yourself up for disaster. I never believe in, in that style. The, the only time when... I guess you could say that is when you're versing like a Manchester City, you're sitting compact and you're looking to counter. That's the only time, but but that's actually because you've tactically set up from minute one to minute 90 to, to do that. Against Tottenham, United were not looking to sit back. So in any case, you're if you're looking to control a game, that shouldn't happen before the 80th minute, really, or the 75th minute. We're pointing the if finger at Eric Ten Hag, and we can look at his tactics and the substitutions. And I'm somewhat critical, not too over the top. I just one or two questions more than sort of criticism. The players. It's the players. Like, okay, yes, we can point the finger at Ten Hag, and that has an influence, of course, but these players, in terms of five-yard passes and, okay, attitude in terms of winning the tackles and stuff like that, I just thought, ultimately, that's where the, the problem did lay in that second half, like, in terms of players doing their individual jobs. I agree with you. I agree. I mean, at the end of the day, Fred was really bad when he came on. Now, Fred placed his potential. Does it end up being a better result? But the Val Veghorst substitution, like, what are you doing? Sorry, I just... And Sabitzer was sitting on the bench, by the way. I don't know if he's injured or whatever. 
But he, he brings on Veghorst in, in, in midfield. And he's not a midfielder. And you got Sabitza sitting on the bench. Like, explain that one to me. Yeah, I just, look, look I if, yeah, Veghorst went up front and played a bit of a target, man. Anthony Marshall wasn't on the pitch. Okay, you can kind of understand. But, yeah, with Sabitza and a straight shootout between Veghorst and Sabitza, you just think, look, Eric Tenag knows about it more than me. He obviously had a reason for it, but the reason didn't work. And um, But Matt here is saying... Sorry, well, before did... you come to Matt's comment, um, Malassia, what's our strongest defence at the moment? Because Luke Shaw is obviously going to be centre-back for the rest of the season. I almost say you, you stick with Deleu at left-back and Wambasaka at right-back. Uh, Malassia, for me, yeah, yeah. is... I don't know, I've called that last couple of weeks. Or oh, since Deleu had that game, was it... Where he scored the, the game goal. before the semi-final? Oh, yeah, not in the forest. Um, yeah, I think that's clearly a back four at the moment in terms of, let's say, okay, Rafael Varane might be back for the Manchester derby. Who knows? But as things stand at the moment, you definitely got one Basaka and Delight fullback and Victor Lindelof and Luke Shaw, who I thought Luke Shaw had a very good, um, I say first half, second half, we can sort of dissect one or two incidents. But first half, I thought Lindelof and Shaw especially did really well. But obviously, that's uh, well in the past and sort of long forgotten um, in regards to how the game did turn out. But Matt here saying... Cut the team a break. We've gone to the end in all the competitions. We still have a hybrid team of Oli and Jose, etc. Ten hard working miracles, two red cards, every player injured, no striker. Why the slag? Definitely not slagging. Look, you won't find a bigger fan of Eric Ten Hag than myself in regards to as he's been absolutely brilliant on and off the pitch. Eric Ten Hag, he's working miracles. I'm close to building a statue for him outside Old Trafford. You can have questions over him. And, not, and the questions aren't, oh my God, I don't think he's the right man for the job. I, I think we should no, give no. him a 15 year contract. Like, I had questions over Sir Alex Ferguson. I was in the back of the Stratford end once where Sir Alex Ferguson took off Tom Cleverley for Ryan Giggs. Tom Cleverley was a young player coming through, and I was shocked in terms of the reaction towards Sir Alex Ferguson in terms of, and it was the right, because why are you bringing, well, three off, four nil up. Why were you bringing Tom Cleverley off, who was having a good game, to bring Ryan Giggs on, who was 38 or 37 at the time, sort of thing. It just made no sense at all. And I'm just thinking, question, what was that decision about? So sometimes with Eric Ten Hag, with these subs, he's absolutely brilliant. He's the perfect man for the job. Why did you bring, why why'd you make that sub, Eric? So I think questions and criticisms are two very yeah. different things. Oh, Eric Ten Hag's the man, 100%. I'm frustrated by the result because United were in such control. I just, Tottenham didn't do anything to make it too well. It was not like Tottenham weren't brilliant and, and forced their way back. I thought it was United's complacency, game management, and poor substitution that ultimately cost us the, the, the two points that were dropped. Um, but in saying that, I mean, ter- like like you're rightly saying, Matt, Eric Ten Hag's done a phenomenal job. He's had a wonderful season. And I think if United are going to win a title, I think he's the manager to do it. I really do. But if he gets it wrong, I think it's completely fair to criticise. Imad, you're right. They were better than us. But they were better than us because of United's mistakes, not not because Tottenham were. Uh, I think that's when Tottenham were playing well, I was thinking, they're not really playing well. But I was thinking we'll just, I don't want to say letting them walk through, but pretty much walk, letting them walk through. That's what I'm saying. And even in the first half, were we really that good? Because I was actually more disappointed with, I use the word disappointment, I wasn't sort of disappointed, I was glad to see it. But even in the first half, we looked good, but really looking at it, it wasn't that we were good, it was Tottenham were shocking in the first half. Box makes a good point. It's similar, severe, 2-0 up, you drop the game. Bad substitutions, bad game management. Like, I think it's right to call these... I, I, I go to bad substitutions and game management, which I agree in part, but then I also look at the individuals coming on. Go do your job. Agree. Yeah, there is... Of course, there's an element of that. But I just think changing your back four when, when you're 2-1 up is strange to me. I, I don't get it. I think if we were 3-0 up and you want to give Malassia match fitness, 
no problem. I'm on board with that. Not when you're 2-1 up and the opposition just scored. I don't think unsettling your back four like that was was the right move. This was a key moment for me, Bruno Fernandez. What's that? It was criminal. It was a it, look. He should score, of course. It would have been one of the goals of the season in regards to the little nutmeg. Ultimately, it should have done a, um, a little bit better, but that obviously does kill the game off. But look, Bruno Fernandez. Look, I'm he probably celebrated when he hit the crossbar, but it was one of those ones where sorry that wasn't from me, that was from Tad. But um, yeah, oh, that obviously kills the game. That's an individual error from Bruno Fernandez. But in regards Bruno to Bruno, that was class today, by the way. He was. Oh no, no, Bruno was very good, uh, of course. And look, he's one of the players. All the players we do need to talk about sort of their commitment to the cause. But Bruno Fernandez, oh, I was shocked he was okay. even in London. Oh, I thought he was on the couch. Um, he's a robot. So if again, is a human, it's Bruno Fernandez. But, but again, if you go back to rotation, there we're talking about substitutions and. Um, sort of game management and rotation and sort of weighing up the, the, the fixture congestion. Should Bruno Fernandez have played this game? Now, yes, he was good in regards to, okay, having your best players on the pitch improves your chances of winning football matches. But is this just another 90 minutes he doesn't need under his belt? He, he could have done this on the couch and we could have played some bits in there. I'm just thinking in three or four weeks' time when we're looking at Bruno Fernandez maybe a little bit off it, do we say, did we need to rush him back for that game against Tottenham? I... I, I... Look, I think if Bruno doesn't play, we don't perform to the level and then maybe we go behind earlier. So it's really difficult to say in hindsight. Bruno is so crucial to the way United play. And you saw that against Sevilla in the away leg, didn't you? When, when he's not there. And can, can I say, I love Casemiro. Something's wrong. There's was comment earlier about Casemiro. I think Box might have brought it up. I forget who brought it up in regards. He's off what, what is it? With I don't know what's happened. If that was McTominay in a Casemiro mask, oh, you could only imagine. Yeah, yeah. and that's been that's been a few weeks. Yeah, and, Sorry, and that's what I, I always. If that was Casemiro with a McTominay mask, the criticism would be unbearable. Oh, he'd, he'd so, be crucified, and I said wrongly so because the criticism of McTominay and even Fred um, Maguire, all the players, the criticism is well over the top, and Casemiro is one of the players who, who escapes a lot of the criticism. And look, he's been absolutely brilliant. And today, I thought he was fine. And a Casemiro fine performance is a little bit sort of substandard compared to our expectations. So it is hard when sort of weighing up. I just I look at the issue. Well, Casemiro, I think he's the best midfielder in the world or has been the best midfielder besides Kevin De Bruyne, obviously. But um, there is something there, and I don't know what to put it down to. I think when if the day Casemiro signed, we would have looked at, the, at his performance. If we had a crystal ball and looked at this Tottenham performance, we would have questioned at the time that the signing said, what's he coming here? Is he just here for the money? Is he past it? Now, the evidence we've had in previous performance throughout this season is far from that. He, he cares. He gives his all and he's absolutely brilliant. But when you do see this, you think, ah, yeah, why'd rather get rid of him? And I'm not, look, he's been absolutely brilliant. I'm not saying why did we get him, but that, those are the sort of the questions we sort of maybe foresee performances like this. And I just put it down, he's at the end of a long season in terms of that World Cup has been in there as well. Um, he's I played pretty so. much every game. He's been fit and available, but then you say that he hasn't played every game because he spent half the season now suspended. So, um, but he, but he does play Casemiro, is it is it a case of circumstance in regards to the fixtures, or just the player that he is? I don't think he's used to the Premier League's intensity. I think that that aspect of it is understated. Um, I think we we do need to contextualize that. With Casemiro, he's been playing in La Liga, which is a substantially lower intensity. And even the Champions League is a lower intensity than the Premier League. So that's that's a factor. He's come into the Premier League at 30. Um, he's been very good. He started on the bench, but then he was played, like Bruno, every game, every minute, no matter what. 
once he came in, that's what happened. And uh, I think there's an element of fatigue. I think he's had a, a long World Cup. He's adjusting to a different league. Um, he He's tired. I think it's as simple as that. He's tired and he's off the pace. And he looks heavy. i got to say, he, he looks a bit heavier. I think he always, I that's my feeling now out of frustration when the performances aren't quite there. But I go back to even when he's playing really well in the back of my mind, even really well, he um he does look heavy there. This comment here for him. Um, I'm trying to I'm trying to find the reasons. Um, but well, yeah, just, he's Imad, he's saying should give uh, Imad, um, we should give Casimir a chance to prove himself in regards to the one or two issues we're seeing. Casimir, is it a case? Sorry, like what a stupid comment that is, Casimir. All he's achieved in the game, like. No, 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 I, no. I think in regards to overcoming the issues he has, is it a case of where we can see where it's going, or he's going to learn from? Um, sort of dealing with the game in England. We need someone to be a backup to him. It's as simple as that. Yeah, but but, but do we make we a decision on Casimir? Obviously, Casimir is here next year and we, we look for, to a future with him. But are we making judgment think, well, hang on, he isn't cut out for the season of an English Premier League or will he be better off next season after a game, after a season of English football? I think he'll be better. I think uh, for sure. For sure he'll be better. He's been good this season. Let's not, you know, let's not discount anything that he's done already. You know, he's been good. But at the end of the day, he hasn't performed in the best part of six weeks. So at what point do we say, all right, he is good, yes, but he's 31 this year and we need backups to him. He can't be a – because this is the problem that United have in just about every key position at the moment. When Martinez isn't there, when Rashford isn't there, when – Bruno isn't there when Casemiro isn't there. You, you got these players. You, you need solid backups. And, and United don't have solid backups to any of those players. Anything else in regards to individuals throughout the team, in regards to performances, good, bad? I don't know. Can we do 3 2 ones today? Because obviously, before the match, we picked a draw. Yeah. But who do you say? Luke Shaw? Marcus Rashford? Jaden Sancho. It's making me laugh. Um, Jaden Sancho looked good in the first five minutes. And then uh, it's sort of that one where sometimes when a player's in good form, when the ball's going out to him, say, he's going to score here. And Sancho's not in good form. But when that ball went out to Sancho, he said, he's going to score here. And he obviously, I don't know, it was something about his body language, went past the player, scored a nice goal. So Jaden Sancho was good in the first half. Juan Bissaka was good, but ultimately to give him points in regards to 90-minute performance, probably not. Uh-huh. I thought Wambasaka was faultless. I thought he was so good when he was on. I really do. I think he deserves points for sure. Bruno deserves points. Um, Luke I thought Shaw's Luke Shaw was our best player. But then he fell off. Yeah, well, yeah, first half. It, it was too... Is that Luke Shaw's old. fault or, or did he suffer because of what happened around him? I don't think his, his job doesn't change as a centre-back. No, yes, okay, it does sort of influence it in terms of players in front of him, make different decisions, makes the games harder a little bit, but his cut job... Up through the middle, right? Like, he didn't he didn't make any mistakes for the goals, really, Luke Shaw. I'll he didn't duck his goals. head for the first goal, though. I didn't notice that. Well, no, I think he made a real... Again, I've tried to wipe the mem- wipe the goals from my memory. Good, he made um, a, a crucial block just before the first goal. He, he made a block, mm-hmm. and then I think the block came out to priority, then put it in. Um, yeah. But yeah, Luke Shaw, I'm not sure what to make. Is first half, say he's best on the pitch, but second half, we concede two goals. Yeah, Sancho and Rashford score, but I thought outside of their goals, neither of them really. Rashford looks our most dangerous player. There's no doubt about that. When he's on the ball, things happen, but yeah, 29 goals for Rashford this season now. He's closing in on 30. It's remarkable. 
It's crazy. You mentioned the word remarkable, which I do agree. Well, what a season he is having goal scoring wise, at least. But then, what's the other guy in Manchester on? 49. <laughs> 49 goals this season. Erling Haaland. What a joke. What a and joke. I think that's going to be hard for, let's say, we bring in Harry Kane or Marcus Rashford develops into this um, really consistent goal scorer for many years. It's going to be very hard just compared to Harry Kane, uh, sorry, to Erling Haaland, because you don't need that. Obviously, if you get someone score 50 goals, that would be nice, but you don't need that. But what's going to happen no. is Harry Kane's going to come in or Oshman's going to come in. They're going to score 25 goals, and they're going to be called a flop. They're going to be labelled a flop because they're not scoring as much yeah, as Erling Haaland. So. No, of course they will. Nah, mate. I mean, at the end of the day, um, I remember at Real Madrid, Ronaldo had a season where he scored 63, I want to say, 63 goals in, in one season. No one was saying, and at the time, Rooney was scoring well, 34. You look back no, at Ronaldo's, no, Ronaldo's last two seasons at Old Trafford, not the um, pre, not the last spell, but the um, his first spell at Old Trafford, the season where he scored 42 goals. The next season, I forget what he scored, high 20s, 18, maybe early, early 30s. Mm. I forget what it was in all competitions. He was the best best player in the world, and I demanded Vidic won our player of the season, but he's absolutely brilliant for United, took us to a Champions League final, won the Premier League pretty much single-handedly. It was a shocking season by Ronaldo's standards in regards to the perception and the reaction to him. But that's the point. I think while that's an extreme view, I, I think comparing a, a standard one player sets against his own standard is different to saying Rashford scored 30 in a season, Haaland scored 50, therefore Rashford's shit. Like, at the end of the day, if well, Harvard, no, they're definitely not the case in my opinion. I just think how it will be perceived and, and how Twitter reacts and how the media reacts and that influences what, those Harland, players. If Haaland scores 30 next season, he'll be called a flop. That's what will happen, which I find hilarious. Can I say, though, like, not to, you know, look, Haaland deserves all his props, but what I will say on Erling Haaland is I think if I played up front for Manchester City, I reckon I could probably get five goals. Obviously, like accounting for my lack of ability in comparison, right? I reckon you get five shots, whether it beats the goalkeeper or not. All right, I'll get five shots. Okay, but that's not of my ability in the English Premier League. So my point is, all right, let me give you a good comparison. I think if Luke Shaw played striker for Manchester City, I reckon he gets at least ten goals a season, because a lot of those goals are tap-ins because they. they, create, they, they I remember Oli Gunnar Solskjaer. Solskjaer said one day um, about training that Luke Shaw is one of the best finishers at the club. Yeah. Well, they maybe Shaw scores 20, right? But the point being that with Erling Haaland, he's, he's a lethal striker, undoubtedly. I think there are still flaws in his game. Um, but in saying that, because he's such a great goal scorer himself, like his, his conversion rate is obviously world-class, best conversion rate in world football. So that can't be argued with. You couple that with the fact that Manchester City create an environment where you can pretty much take tap-ins as long as you're lethal. It's just the perfect combination for someone to score 50. Let me put it this way. Ronaldo scored 24 for Manchester United last season. If Ronaldo was in Manchester City's team, how many goals would have Ronaldo scored? I reckon he gets at least 40. It's it's hard. That's so hard to see in regards to the way he plays, but also his goal scoring ability and what's happened with him in terms of physically. It's so hard to see what would have happened with Ronaldo. I think the first season at, um, coming in instead of going to Manchester United, that might have been a different story this season. You don't know what's going to happen with that. But um, before we do wrap up, Larry, a finalisation of those three, two, ones. I'll be saying, Mike, we'll concede two goals. Bruno, I, three I, for me. Nah, he, Bruno gets the assist. 
for Rashford. But that chance, but that chance where he hit the crossbar, that that, that oh, for that's me. Harsh. That's yeah, harsh. Yeah, no, harsh. The goalkeeper's in such close vicinity, so he's obviously he's he wanted to go for a, a chip, and he's obviously banged it. He smashed it. This is moments, man. When a goalkeeper's that close to you and you're like, he couldn't have rounded the keeper. Oh, yeah. That, look, that miss obviously looks far worse than it is. He, yeah, he does very, very well. But in terms of three points, in terms of, I thought Luke Shaw, I keep, maybe someone correct me in the comments. So I thought that first half was borderline brilliant from Luke Shaw. I thought Tom he was our best player. Would be my three. I thought he was top when he was on. I don't know if we're going to agree or disagree on this. So whoever maybe puts the first three two ones in the comments, first realistic three two ones in the comments. Um, I think it's those three players. I just don't know in what order. Bruno won this. Well, but then we're throwing out our two goal scorers, and again, maybe rightly so. But um, outside, of, I hate to say outside of a goal. I mean, goals are why you play football. Sancho outside of the goal, not really. Rashford was good. I think he looked dangerous, didn't he? I know it's a difficult one. I think Bruno deserves three. I really do. Yeah, Matt, he's saying such a poor second half from the whole side. Base your points Bruno on the first. Oh, look, 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 people are going Bruno. Okay, Bruno for three points. Usually I agree with the Bruno love today. I don't agree, but oh, I'll cave to the people in the chat. Um, Bruno for three points. Uh, one Bissaka for two and Jaden Sancho for one. Look, okay. I, I thought Sancho okay. in his last two appearances looked a bit a bit sharper with a little bit it's more far. intent. And... Um, that's interesting as well with Anthony Martial through the middle. Last couple, and again, coming off the back of injury, Anthony Martial through the middle compared to Marcus Rashford. Sometimes better football at moments coming with Rashford through the middle, um, which goes the thing goes sort of against everything that we've said in recent times. I don't think that's the answer going forward. I think Marcus Rashford's better on the left, but in terms of the criticism Sancho faces, and rightly so at times, I think a lot of our better, more stable and composed football comes with um, Jaden Sancho as opposed to Marcus Rashford on the left. Might yeah, not look no, like it, but in terms of Eric and Hag's feeling, I think that's how it sort of unfolds. I've got to have, give some credit to Rashford here outside of his goal scoring. I think he's evolved as a footballer. I think he's better as a striker now than he used to be. Like if you think of the Rashford that broke into that broke into the United side, just that he was a get-in-behind striker, and that's still his strength, and, and it should be his strength. But his back-to-goal is there. It's it's not what I'd call world-class, but he can do it. It can can be effective. Um, he's better in tight areas. He recycles possession a lot better. Um, all in all, I, I, I would agree. I think our best football has, you could argue, has come with Rashford central. Um, and I suppose just whether it's Rashford or Martial, I think it, it gives the option for the fluidity. Between Martial, Sancho and Rashford, all can play on the left with, with some sort of effect. So if you're doing that to an opposition right back, it can only be a good thing. Um yeah, Eric Dyer, man, he's bad. He's a bad lucky, l- lucky he is bad. Otherwise, he could have got that winner in terms of that header. But um, just as we he's wrap sure. up, Larry, in regards to obviously we've got those three points, Bruno Fernandes, Wan-Bissaka, and Jaden Sancho. Last point, um, we've talked about this match being in sort of a, the race for the top four. And if we win this, we cement top four. And we're going to have this the same debate in a couple of days against Aston Villa. If we win this, does it skew a top four? Newcastle. Box. I'm fed up with Newcastle winning every game. Not just winning every game, they're bloody smashing teams. They're obviously Everton are now deep into the relegation zone. I saw Goodison Park was empty and Newcastle scored a brilliant. Uh, Isaac went past four or five players on the byline for a good goal or set up a goal. Top four. Um, I haven't looked at the table. I'll bring it up now in regards to the ladder. Um, how are you feeling after this result? Because yeah. uh, as I said, it um, before the, at the start of the season or even before the game, a draw here off the back of 120 minutes midweek or, or on the weekend. In terms of, we do have to take that in a, into context. And um, 
ultimately a draw is not a bad result. Obviously, coming from 2 0 up, um, it obviously definitely feels like that. But before the game, you think, okay, draw is not a disaster here in one of our sort of tougher games left. So um, the latter here, I'll just look at it here. Um, just your latest. We got thought. two tough games. We got we got Villa at home, and I'm glad it's at home because I think if it was at Villa Park, you could almost say three points lost. And we got Brighton away, which is going to be a hell of a game. It's going to be massive. But outside of that, I think United's remaining games are all quite winnable. I tell you what, I love I just on my phone. I love having a scroll to find Chelsea. I was looking all these teams. Where's Chelsea? And I had to scroll a bit to find them. And obviously, long may that continue. But um, I would say a pleasure, I think Larry. The final two games of the season, United can pretty much. I think that's six points in the bag. I think the the next two games are are crucial, though. I think you need to beat Villa at home, and I think if you can get a draw against Brighton away, that's a good result. Yeah, look, you're right. All that starts with um, well, it all starts with um, Villa at home, and obviously going to be a very yeah, tough yeah. test. You know, Emery at Old Trafford. It's kind of what he's what he was built for in regards to games like that. So it will be a tough test. That is Sunday night, 11 p.m. in Sydney, which is good kickoff time. Um, you prefer it on a Saturday, but it is what it is. And um, probably back post-match there, maybe 1 a.m. Monday morning. But um, we will put the effort in. But we do appreciate everyone joining us. Plenty of different opinions, and rightly so today, um, because it was a very sort of emotional second half. So, um, But we do appreciate everyone keeping it nice and sensible. Um, please do leave a like on your way out to cheer us up after That's the me, disappointing man. loss. I see us again after these games. I always say it's a loss, disappointing loss. It was um, a two-two draw, but um, maybe that's good. Maybe standards are coming back where it feels worse than what it actually is. So um, until then, hope everyone has a good weekend. Um, enjoy your football, and we'll be back um, maybe tomorrow with a Villa preview. If not, um, definitely review post-match. But Larry, enjoy your day at work, mate. I will not. Thank you, mate. Enjoy. Have a good one.